0: All right, take your Bibles, I hope you have one in front of you, and open to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Well, as I mentioned uh, last week, this whole, uh, this whole concept of people's personal religious beliefs, as you know, has been going on for thousands of years. Go back as far as you want, and then come all the way until today And there are groups, there are religions, there are individuals who believe that through themselves, through their own actions, through their own works, they can do enough to reach God. And not only that, but but something we see more of today is that people will simply create some trendy God in their own mind, which somehow gives them confidence that they will go to heaven. You can go out and you can share with somebody on the street, maybe a coworker, somebody in the grocery store. You can share with them who God is. You can share with them the God of the Bible, Yahweh. And they will say to you, well, the God that I worship doesn't send people to hell. The God that I worship uh, is all love. He would never do that to somebody. Then you can go along to the next person. Tell them the same thing. Well, the God that I worship is going to weigh your goods and your bads when you get to heaven, right? Three days later, you go to the next person, the God that I worship, and it's just this continuing on. Millions of people have this God in their own mind about who they so-called worship. These so-called gods, as you know, do not exist. They're simply made up in the minds of people, yet they will believe it because it makes them feel good, therefore giving them a false sense of security, They believe they're heaven-bound because they've created a God in their own mind that believes the same thing they do. Go figure that. And they believe it, and they're, all, they're everywhere. The Jews in the first century had a problem with religion, and many still do today. They, too, had a false sense of security. Here in the book of Romans, Paul spent a lot of time explaining to them that the one true God, the God that they claim to worship, is not going to give them a free pass simply because they're Jews. Okay, Heaven is not going to open its gates for them just because they tried their best to live out the law of God. With well, that being said, Paul made it crystal clear to these Jews that, hey, I, I'm not picking on you personally. He said, this is for everyone, right? As you guys have studied with us for the last few months, Jew and Gentiles, Paul teaches, are all under sin. They're all deserving the wrath of God. Matter of fact, Paul went ahead and he used the, uh, the Old Testament scriptures, the Jews, the scriptures of the Jews. He did that for nine straight verses to prove this to them, okay? It had nothing to do with them being a Jew or or somebody else being a Gentile. It had to do with their sin. Period. It has to do with sin. Every human being, he declared, is depraved and lost in their sin. And they themselves can do nothing about it. Chapter 3, verse 20, I've read it before, but it simply says... No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Now, of course, that's talking to the Jews specifically, but what it's saying is you can't earn your way to righteousness. It's impossible. So with that being said, from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, there's no way that you could have missed the fact No way possible that you could have missed the fact that you and every person is a sinner, and in reality, we're all doomed because of that, okay? But then after all of that talk of sin, for all of those verses, Paul finally came to chapter three, verse 21. And at this point, he's gonna give the answer to the question I'm sure many of them had, and that is, well, then, then how do I get right with God? How? Being that I am sinful, being that I am depraved, deserving of the wrath of God, is it even possible? Is God even reachable? And Paul said the answer is yes. And this is where we spent all of our time last week uh, before we shared in communion together. So We just went through the one verse, but let me read that for you real quick. Once again, verse 21, chapter 3. He says, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. In contrast to what was just written, he's saying here, there is a righteousness that is to be obtained. There is. It is out there. It's not from you, though. And as he says there in verse 21, it's not through the law either. And for that matter, Paul says, look, it's nothing new. I'm not just making this stuff up. Because he goes on to say in that verse that the law and the prophets actually are witnesses, or they testify of this. And Paul, of course, is talking about what was stated in the Old Testament pertaining to the coming of the Messiah, And that salvation, by the way, just like with Abraham, was by faith. I mentioned these last week, but Habakkuk and Daniel and the Psalms, Isaiah, Zechariah, they all speak of this, okay? Matter of fact, I mentioned last time, but I always found this interesting. I talked with Ken about it a few weeks ago, on the road to Emmaus, right? After Jesus rose from the grave, he didn't quite look like You know, they didn't quite recognize him, but he's talking to these these two men, and it says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, the Old Testament, that's how we would say that, Jesus explained to them what was said in the Scriptures concerning himself. It's as if Jesus had an Old Testament with them. Let me share with you what the Old Testament, what the Psalms, what Moses, what everybody said about me. See? So as Paul is saying here, it's it's nothing new. It's been written in the scriptures for centuries. Okay? Now with all that being said, the key though in this verse, in verse 21, is how we obtain that salvation. Because remember, he just spent all this time talking about sin and sin and sin, so there was no misunderstanding that you're a sinner, you can't be saved on your own. Okay? Okay? And so here, he comes and talks about how we can obtain it. Yes, it is by faith, and we'll talk about that in the very next verse. But he says here in verse 21, it is a righteousness from God. Okay? Now, he mentioned that earlier on in chapter 1, verse 17. Many of you know this. It says, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, or it is made known. he says, it is a righteousness that is by faith. So in other words, there is a righteousness out there. It comes from God, and it's by faith, okay? So here you have in this verse, the righteousness of God, he says, through faith in the gospel, he says that righteousness, this is God's righteousness, right? That righteousness is then passed on to you and to me. Hence, he says, this is the righteousness from God. It's God's righteousness, and he passes that on to us. Kenneth Weist, in his Greek studies, he says, it is a righteousness bestowed on man by God. The righteousness which becomes ours is that which God has ascribed to us. You can also just flip that around and say, it ain't ours. <laughs> it ain't our righteousness. Okay. Theologians, folks, call this imputed righteousness. You and I, believers in Christ, are declared righteous, not because of anything that we have done, but what he has done for us and to us. Okay? As I said last week, the gospel would not be good news. You know, the gospel means good news, right? The gospel would not be good news for you and for me if it simply revealed the righteousness of God. That would be good to know. It tells us about the character of God. We want to know those things. okay? But it's good news because that righteousness is now credited to us. That's why it's good news, folks. Once again, it's the imputation. We are undeserving. We have no righteousness of our own. But God gives us his. Because of the cross and because we have placed our faith in Christ alone, God now looks at you and me as positionally righteous. Practically, we're still sinners. We are. We struggle. Hopefully we don't sin as much as we used to. Hopefully that is better every day as we become transformed in the image of Christ. But we are positionally righteous. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, and by the way, the, you, could, you could put this verse this way. Theologically speaking, this is the gospel. The gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5. It's crystal clear. Theologically speaking, this is the gospel. It says, God made him, that's Christ, who knew no sin. He was sinless. He was perfection. He's God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin. For us, so that in Him we might become, here it is, the righteousness of God. He took on our sin, and so we get His righteousness. Folks, this is why salvation is so glorious. This is why I mention this when we take communion together. It, we have to take our minds sometimes back to the beginning. See? We cannot do this on our own because, well, we're a sinful mess. And, of course, he spent all that time talking about it in in chapters 1 through 3. And plus, how mind-boggling is it? Think about it. That he took our sin upon himself, all of our sin upon himself, and in return, he gave us his righteousness. That's that's mind-boggling if you just think about that for a second. He's perfect perfect. He's God in human flesh. He said, you know what? I'll I'll take your sin. I'll deal with it. And by the way, I'm going to give you my righteousness. That's the love of God that we will never be able to comprehend. Why would a perfect and holy God deliver you and me from a horrible state of sin and depravity and yet place us in the possession of His perfect righteousness. That is amazing. That's why it's such a a contrast as he goes all of these verses and then to bam, starting at verse 21, he lays it out. It's truly amazing. Well, there's much more to, to say on this issue as we now move into the next few verses. And as we do, please remember Okay, because this is important as we understand the context of what we're talking about, Paul has just spent 64 verses focusing on the subject of sin. That's a lot of verses focusing on the subject of sin. Okay, He just spent 64 verses on that, Okay, the sin of mankind. Now he's bringing us the greatest news that the world could ever hear. Once you realize, I'm, I'm lost, I'm depraved, I've rejected God, I have nothing to give of my own. And then once you see what we're talking about, oh man, that's about as good as news as you can hear. Let me read now verses 22 through 24. He now says, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely By his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Folks, I hope you realize when I read those verses, or you can even read, put in verse 21 if you'd like. There is no me, there is no myself, and there is no I. Okay? In those verses, you recognize salvation is of God. Okay? It is his righteousness. He's already told us that twice. He tells us it is by his grace. And then lastly, it says how it is him who freed us. That's that word redemption. It's of God. Okay, As verse 21 just spoke of the righteousness of God, right? He just spoke of the righteousness of, of God, uh, his righteousness that's imputed to us. He now mentions it again. In verse 22, okay? I'm going to read it one more time. Verse 22. This righteousness, meaning the one I just got through mentioning, from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Stop right there. This righteousness, folks, that comes from God, that he attributed to you and me, Paul has made it clear all along that it is not and has never been something we can earn. It's easy to fit those things in there because you see this and you're going, where am I in all this? You're the sinner. That's where you are in all this. I'm the sinner. That's where we're all in this. Okay. Paul says it is not as never been ever by something that we can earn. And therefore, how it does come about, he makes just as clear. By using the words faith and believe in the same sentence. I mean, he makes it clear. He's been very clear about how this is not earned. Now he makes it very clear it's simply through faith. It's through your belief, see? Now, there should be no misunderstanding. Salvation has always been by faith. Do we all get that? You can turn here if you want. I'm going to go through this super quickly, but I want you to turn over, if you want, to Hebrews chapter 11. Many of you are going, oh, yeah, I remember this. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 11, it's talking specifically about faith, period. The whole chapter is about one thing, faith. Interesting, though, by the way, it's also about, it only mentions those in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. But I want to use this to show you that, once again, salvation is always by faith. Never been by anything else. I'm going to go through this real quick, but verse 3, he says, by faith. Verse 4, by faith, Abel. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch. Verse 7, by faith, Noah. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham. He says it again in verse 11, by faith, Abraham. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham. I'm thinking Abraham's a pretty important people to the Hebrews. What do you think, right? He goes into verse 20, every time, by faith, Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Joseph, by faith, Moses. Once again, verse 24, by faith, Moses. Moses. Verse 29, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on the dry ground. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. Verse 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab believed. You see where it's all going with this? This whole thing is by faith, by faith, by faith. All of it. All of it. Even all of these folks in the Old Testament, it was by faith. Personally, I get a kick out of the fact that he mentions Abraham three times. Abraham is the father of who? The Hebrew people, the Jewish nation. (laughs) And yet he mentions about Abraham. That's who they always go back to. Well, I'm a descendant of Abraham, right? And Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Faith, right? He also mentions Moses. By faith, Moses. Moses was the giver of the law, but he says by faith. Moses, same. Folks, as you know, the book of Hebrews, as well as the book of Romans, or if you will, the entire New Testament, every book that's there was written in the first century, okay? All these letters were written in the first century. But please understand, folks, at this point in the first century, the scriptures that God had handed down to the Jews, they had been perverted, period, okay? Okay? First century Judaism was a system that was built on works. You can see that in the Gospels very clearly. They had corrupted the truth of the covenant that God had made with Israel. It had become, Judaism had become a legalistic righteousness. As one commentator puts it, it was a system of self-effort, self-salvation, and self-glorification. Okay? There were even some Jews who wanted to take Christianity and filter it through Judaism. If you remember our study through the book of Galatians, by the way, the the entire book of Galatians is on one, one subject, law versus grace. That's the whole book. But if you remember that, the Judaizers wanted to do this, didn't they? The Judaizers said, well, you know what? You know, the Christianity, okay, it's fine, but you still better get circumcised. You still better obey the law of Moses is what they said. Folks, you cannot take salvation by faith and mix it with a system of works righteousness. Okay? Those two things are diametrically opposed to one another. Period. The only place that faith and works go together are the works that are the byproduct, the evidence of our faith. Right? James chapter 2 is very clear on that issue, isn't it? Other areas, but James lays out a very, very, very good section of that. The only place that faith and works go together is when, by faith, you see those works. You see the evidence of it. Okay? Outside of that, faith and works are like oil and water when it comes to salvation. You cannot mix them. Okay? This is one of the many areas where Catholicism goes awry, right? This is where you hear me say things like we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, not by faith plus something else. There's a reason why those words alone are there, okay? The Catholic Church went as far as saying in what's known as the Council of Trent, that those who hold to solo fide, faith alone, what that means, okay, they are accursed anathema if you believe that you're saved by faith alone. The problem they have isn't with us. It's with the Word of God. See, there's an issue there. Catholic beliefs, Catholics' traditions, and other people, not just Catholicism, but they filter their own stuff in there and it takes over Scripture. Scripture says otherwise and Scripture is the authority that we stand on. The Catholic Church and and, and many people feel that they just, I just have to have a part in my salvation. It's that feeling, i got to be a part of this. And this is why Paul spent so much time in the first three chapters here in Romans proving man's depravity. This is why he did this, to show us we can't. We can't have anything to do with this. We are a disaster. Especially even speaking of those nine verses he brought from the Old Covenant. Our mouths are open graves. The poison of vipers is on our lips. There is no one righteous. He says, not even one. And those are just three little things I remember off the top of my head. There's a lot going on there. Something else that I want to point out is to whom our faith is in, okay? Now, to you and me, I get it. This might seem a little obvious, okay? But I cannot tell you how many times, folks, that I hear that someone is a person of faith. Faith in who? Faith in what? What does that even mean? I'm a person of faith? It's like non-Christians you see all the time, oh, I thank God. Well, what phony made-up God are you talking about? Because we know it's not the God of the Bible because you've rejected Him your entire life. But I thank God. What, What does that even mean? See? Just the other day, just this last week, I read an article couldn't pass it up. I knew it was going to make me mad, but I read it anyway. Cause that's the kind of guy that I am. The ten most religious people in Hollywood. That right there. That right there ought to say something. Going. On. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are a few good people out there. There really are. But and it spoke of their faith. It spoke of their faith, folks. It was ludicrous. It was it was bizarre. To go. I'm not going to go through all the people and who they are, and all that kind of stuff. But people keep using this generic term, faith, as if it doesn't matter who your faith is in. Just faith. That's it. Folks, your faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. You get that? You can a scale of 1 to 100. You can be a 100. Nobody has more faith than you. Your friends will say the same thing. But let me tell you what, when you begin to walk across that rickety old bridge across the canyon, your faith is only as good as that rickety old bridge is. I don't care how much faith you have, it's irrelevant. It's only as good as that. Every time you hop in your car every day, you have faith that when you put that pedal, your brakes are going to stop you. You You do. Your faith is only as good as that those breaks are. If they're metal to metal, I don't care what your faith is. See? When I hear people talking about their faith, even on, say, Fox News, which I, I do watch Fox News, but I hear people talking about their faith, and then I hear people talking about this new book that they have. Folks, if I don't hear the name of Jesus Christ, I don't care. I don't want to sit here and listen to your spleel. You might be a great reporter and do a great job. I might even like your show. But don't just sit here and say, my faith and then angels above and my book. and I I don't care. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? When Paul says here in verse 22, the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ, that matters because people are putting their so-called faith in everything. Or it's literally, it's faith in their faith. It's somehow the power of just blank faith. But he says, it's in Jesus Christ, And by the way, as a side note, we're talking about the Jesus Christ in the Holy Bible. We're not talking about the Jesus Christ of Mormonism, right? Jesus Christ of Mormonism is the spirit brother of Lucifer, and he is not deity. The Jesus Christ of the Jehovah's Witness, or the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, he's Michael the Archangel, and he, once again, is not deity, the Jesus Christ of, of Islam, once again, matter of fact, he never even died on the cross. He never rose again. He's simply a prophet. Once again, he, he ain't the Son of God in their mind. There's only one Jesus who can save you, and he is the perfect, sinless, eternal God who lowered himself to come to this earth as a man and to die. If that is not the Jesus that you put your faith in, then he can't save you. You can't just slap a name Jesus on somebody and call him your savior because he can't save you. It must be faith in Jesus Christ of the scriptures who, by the way, is perfect, is sinless, and who was the only one who could have paid for our sin. The only one. I don't care if somebody says, I'm going to hang on a cross and die for you. But if you don't rise from the grave, you're worth spit. Jesus proved who he said he was by rising from the grave. Yeah, the resurrection is that important. I feel like I'm preaching today. Do you feel like I'm preaching today? I don't usually call myself a preacher, but sometimes it gets me a little excited. Lastly, at the end of verse 22, he says... This is to all who believe, there is no difference. Okay? For those who believe, he says there's no difference. Okay? It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, if you're black, if you're white, if you're homosexual, if you're heterosexual, if you're a really nice person, or if you're a murderer. Salvation is not for some select group of people. Uh, I'm a white guy, therefore salvation or Christianity is of me. That's No, that's not how it works. It's for all who come to faith in Christ. Or as it says here, it's for all who believe. I don't care who you are, I don't care what your past was, I don't care if you had some former religion, it doesn't matter. Matter of fact, wrong way. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9, kinda, it kind of proves this point. It says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he gives this list. It is not exhaustive, but he gives this list of who he considers wicked. He says, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitute, homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, none of them, he says, will inherit the kingdom of God. He chooses from a vast group of sinners here, doesn't he? The great news, though, is when you see verse 11. And that is what some of you, what does it say? Were. Past tense. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It didn't matter if they were thieves, adulterers, homosexuals, prostitute. I mean, it didn't matter. What group? What color? Male? Female? Doesn't matter. The good news is, you see, it's what God had done in their lives. That's what they used to be. That's what some of you once were, but you've been washed. See? Here's the answer going back to Romans. Here's the answer of why. Verse 23. What does he say? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Many of you know that. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned to fallen short of the glory of God. Folks, there's no difference in who can get saved, as I just said, because there is no difference among the sinners. Okay? Oh, sure, there are different sins and different consequences. There are some more evil sins than others. The key, though, is the one word. Sin. It's sin. You've heard me say this many times, right? There's one thing that keeps an individual out of heaven. Just one. It's called sin. See. So the point here is, as I said, there's there, there's no difference in who can get saved because there's no difference in who the sinners are. The problem they have is sin. And that sin separates them from God. And that is what makes us guilty. It's what makes us helpless. Paul says, "For who all? For all have sinned, right? No exceptions. No exceptions. All. It doesn't matter if you think if you think that you're some religious guru and you're holier than thou, and I don't sin. Baloney. You're a sinner. It doesn't matter if your name is Mother Teresa. You are a sinner." It doesn't matter if you're Mary the mother of Jesus Christ, you are a sinner. Luke 147. I mean even this always gets people's hairs what? Did Sharon just say Mary was a sinner? No, number one, we're not the Catholic Church. But number two, Luke 147, Mary says, "I rejoice in God my savior." Folks, let me just make this very simple. You, if you're not a sinner, you don't need a Savior. It's pretty clear. See, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much people prop you up for no good reason. You and me are sinners. All of us. There's no exceptions. And as a sinner, even just one sin, it doesn't matter, even just one You do not measure up to what does Paul say? The glory of God. You don't measure up to the glory of God. He says that all fall short. And by the way, that's in the Greek, that's a present tense verb. We keep on falling short. We don't just all of a sudden arrive. Okay? You have heretics like Joyce Meyer who says, Well, I don't sin anymore. When I used to sin, when you used to sin. Really? Really? I mean, First John throws that out the window. But it says here, we keep on falling short. It's ongoing. Nobody just, I'm there, I've arrived. It doesn't happen. All sinners, folks, not one single human being, none, is able to measure up to the glory of God. It is suggested that coming from First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, that since we were all created in the image of God, and that, of course, brought glory to God, it says in that verse, it's, it's suggested that it was because of sin that no one can live up to how we were created. We were created in the image of God. We were created to give God glory. But we haven't done a very good job with that, have we? See, we have failed. Everybody has failed. The point being made is that we're all in the same boat, he's saying here. All of us. I don't care if you sin a, th- a hundred times or a thousand times. I don't care if maybe you're a liar and the other guy is a cheater. The bottom line is that you're sinful and that you fail. And we've fallen short of God's glory. But boy, does Paul got some good news for you. Don't be going, hmm. Right? What does he say in verse 24? Yet what? We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I'm going to read that in the New Living Translation just because it reads real easy. He says, God with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he f- freed us from the penalty of our sins. Number one, he says here that we are justified freely by his grace. That word justify uh, literally means to render or to declare righteous. Okay? It's also been translated as acquitted or freed or even vindicated. Same word. Okay? Okay? But the important part to understand, and I believe you all do, is that it doesn't mean to be righteous, as if you and I have done something to erase our sin. That's that's not what it means. Never has, never will. Okay. The complete word dictionary, and this is a Greek word study, he says, it must be clearly understood that in the New Testament, the verb dikaiō, which means to justify, never means to make anyone righteous or to do away with his violation of the law by himself bearing the condemnation and the imposed sentence. There's nothing that I can personally do to bring myself into a righteous state no matter what penalty I bear on myself, it can't happen. Otherwise, you're saying that Jesus is the dumbest person who ever walked the earth because he came and suffered and died as a perfect holy God when he didn't have to. But he says, no, that's not what it means. If you back up to the previous verses that we just went through, it refers to all who believed due to all being sinful. See? Therefore, being justified is coming from somewhere else. <laughs> it ain't internal. It ain't us. And Paul says we are justified freely by His, oh, here's that other person. Here's where it's coming from. His grace. Okay? It's not through us or by us. It's free, and it's free to us. And he says it's by his grace. Grace meaning it is a gift offered from God to us. It's not earned, it's a gift, right? As I said earlier, he took our sin and then he did what? He gave us what? His righteousness. I heard a whisper somewhere. That's a gift. It's never earned. There's no possible way that we could do that. But then Paul finishes the verse by saying this, it is through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Once again, folks, it was free to you and to me. Okay? We did not pay the price to set ourselves free, but Christ did. Okay? It costs you and me nothing. It costs Jesus Christ everything. You see, folks, that word redemption, or if you will, uh, being redeemed, it means a price had to be paid. Okay? The word redemption typically uh, is used for uh, paying a price to free a slave from his master. That's where we, historically, we, we hear that word. But because of our sinfulness, because of our falling short of God's glory, only the sinless Son of God could have taken this upon Himself. Right? The wages of sin is what? Death, the Bible says. That's in Romans as well. Because of our sin, we deserve death. That is eternal separation from God. That's not physical death. We're going to die physically already anyway, thanks to Adam and Eve. Spiritually, eternally, this is where we're getting at. Because of our sin, we deserve death. Death. But because of the love of Jesus Christ, he says, I'll set you free because I'll pay the price. I'll do it. Meaning, I'll take care of that death for you. Right? The wages is something you earn, isn't it? The wages of sin is death. That's why it goes back and says, But the gift of God is eternal life. One you earn. You earn death, but it's a free gift of salvation. Jesus said, it's only going to happen because I'm going to pay your sin debt. I'm going to die. I will pay your price. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, and as he says, because of our faith in him, our standing before God has changed dramatically. Huge. As Ephesians chapter 1 says, in him... We have redemption through his blood. We have been bought because of his blood. We've been paid for because of his blood. And then he says the forgiveness of sins. So as you, as we've gone through all these, these things in the first chapter, in the middle of chapter 1 through chapter 3, verse 20, in a, just a plethora of sin, 60-some-odd verses of sin and sin and sin, but he says, guess what? It's still available. Righteousness is available, but it's through one person alone, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. When he died, when he redeemed you, he says, you know what? I'm going to pay for your sins. I'm going to forgive you of your sin, and I'm going to give you Righteousness. It is free, but it's through faith in Christ and Christ alone. Nowhere else. It's not my belief, folks. It's not me starting some religion. That's just reality. God says this is how it goes. You can have friends who are religious. It doesn't matter. Good people, don't get me wrong, they may even be sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. See, sincerity doesn't save you. Christ can. Because, once again, there's one issue, sin. Sin sin. No religion takes care of sin. I don't care how many. It was like, what, 4,000, I said, religions in the world? Not one deals with your sin. Christ says, I will, and I'll give you my righteousness. So he says, I'll take care of it. But what will you do with that? He says, you do it by faith. If you don't, then you will be paying for your sin in hell. So it's you paying for your sin in hell or Christ paying for your sin on the cross. It's a whole lot of pride to choose the first, isn't it? The first one, isn't it? It is. So praise be to God that even though he's proved to us beyond a shadow of a doubt, and not that we need to be proof, you know you're a sinner. But God says, you know what? I love you that much. I'll die. I'll take care of it. And that is the greatest news that the world will ever hear. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, that we're able to share in this today. And, and Lord, I, there's even more to go. We're not even done yet. I mean, we're not even close. But Lord, um, when you see the contrast, it makes it crystal clear. And this is why I, I think, Lord, it's important to teach your word in context, because we go from such a beat down of sin. And we're involved in that just because it's written to the first century church. He could have wrote that to us today. It's sin and sin and sin and sin, and we are depraved, and there's nothing we can do to change that. And then all of a sudden, he talks about Christ and what he came to do. What I hope that through this study, I, I know most of us in this room are, are believers already, but I hope it rejuvenates us, rejuvenates us, encourages us to understand what Christ has done, to understand that I am dreadfully a sinner But, Lord, to recognize that if I put my faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did for me, he will change who I am. He will forgive me of my sin and give me his righteousness. And one thing that's not mentioned in this text is that he will change our lives. There's no such thing as an unchanged Christian, and that is amazing. And so, Lord, we give you all the glory for what you've done, for your love that we will never be able to really comprehend. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.